thing. And so over the last couple of weeks, the last four weeks, we've been really talking about and sharing with you some ideas about how as followers of Jesus that we're instructed to build lives differently than the world or the culture or the world system around us. Whether we realize it or not is that the Bible is countercultural. Most of what Jesus said made people's heads kind of go... What are you talking about? <laughs> because it was just against the grain, against the norm. And we're actually called to live counterculturally. You know, and that can be challenging at times because it's like, well, everybody's doing it. But does that mean it's working for everybody? You know, they say in a crisis moment, 80% of people do nothing. They sit still. 10% of people do the wrong things. And 10% of the people will do the right things. So the 90% are doing the wrong thing. You know, and so, but as Christians, as as Christ followers, we're really called to live differently. Now, let me disclaimer, that does not give us a license to be weird. Different and weird are not the same things. And uh, we've all experienced enough weirdness around the church. We don't need to add to it. Y'all got to give me a better amen on that one. We've all experienced enough weirdness around the church. We don't need to add to it. Thank you very much. And uh, because we definitely don't need more weirdness. But what we do need is more Christ likeness. Jesus was not weird. And you're like, well, how do you know that? He did some pretty weird things. Because people who were anything but godly came up to him without reservation. Kids came up to him without reservation, which tells me he wasn't weird. The Bible actually says that he was accused of hanging out with sinners, of people that weren't accepted by the norm, and they were comfortable with Jesus. But yet Jesus was not like them. He was different. And he offered them answers and solutions to their problems and the things that they were facing and the things they were trying to work out. And so just like Jesus is, so we're called to be. Is we're called to be like him. And so over these last couple of weeks, uh, just a little bit of recap. We've been talking about the ideas of living out God's word. Living out the truths of God's word. Really knowing God's word. Uh, really activating those, those truths in our life by our faith. You know, and, and that's important is that God's word is true, but we have to activate it with our faith. If you've ever used something like JB Weld or maybe some type of epoxy that you have to mix two parts together for it to work, one is the substance and there's this other element that's called the activator that makes that substance all of a sudden go into action. So like you can get glue and the glue doesn't stick until you add this other element to it and then all of a sudden it gets super sticky and it holds things together. Well, the word of God contains a lot of power. But just because the word of God contains a lot of power doesn't mean we get to experience it unless we apply our faith to it. You're like, well, what's faith? It's belief. I believe God's word above everything else. I believe that God's word is true for me regardless of what my circumstances, my thoughts, and my opinions, and everybody else's opinions may say is that God's word is true for me. That's how we activate the word of God. And so then we talked about utilizing the authority that we've been given. That's part of how we take our faith and actually really put it into action. We don't just sit back and say, well, God's word is true. I believe God's word and it's just going to happen just by chance. No, and if you missed this week three, I'd encourage you to go back and listen. Jesus gave us the authority to enforce his rule and reign, but that's up to us to do. And I told you this in that week is that Jesus will not do for us what he's given us the ability to do for ourselves. He won't do it. Why? Because he's going to look and say, I told you to do it. So you have to enforce that 
that authority that you've been given um, from Christ. And then last week, Sean even shared about really how to live and to have a godly uh, family and to, to really raise godly kids and to how do we do this differently than the world? Cause I don't, you know, and unfortunately the statistics for the church are not that much different, um, than the, than the world really as a whole. And when you start looking at things like marriage, when you start looking at children and you start looking at different factors, but I believe that we can actually raise and live in godly homes and raise godly kids and actually not be affected to the same degree that much of the world is because we rightly really understand God's word and live those things out. And so the whole goal of this series is to help us learn how to build differently because the Bible tells us, and we've looked at this every week, I'm not going to read it, but I'll give you just a quick overview in Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 to 27 Jesus says there were two people who built a house and they looked good and they looked the same until the storm hit until the circumstances of life came and then the quality of the structure was revealed you know me and Dare were driving around yesterday in a a neighborhood just north of ours and it was interesting one house you know of course they've rebuilt them but there's some houses and it's like this house was okay and this house was destroyed and this house was okay and this house was destroyed they all looked really nice until the hurricanes hit and then maybe there were things about those homes that were compromised that got revealed by the storm and and so jesus actually said if we want to be wise we're going to listen to his words and put into action to put it into motion the things that he teaches us and it says that there was one house that was built upon the rock something solid but there was also another house that was built on the sand and so when the waves came One house stood strong and one house fell. Well, I don't know about you. I want to have a house and not just a physical house. We're talking about a house. We're talking about our life. I want to have a a life that can withstand the storms of life. I want to be a house that's strong enough that other people can come to and find rest and find safety in as well. And so this is really our call as um, you know, as believers and as Christians, and, and I believe that Jesus is giving us a bit of a warning here saying, hey, look, you know, it's just like in Joshua where God told Joshua, he said, look, I put before you life and death. I would desire that you choose life, but the choice is yours. You get to decide what kind of house, what kind of life that you're going to build. And so we've been looking over this over the last few weeks, and we've really been talking and focusing on really our faith, our belief, and really trusting God's word, and how do we build a good life? How do we use God's word? And so this morning, I want to not really backtrack, but I, I do want to give you another key to your faith, that without this key, your faith will be hindered. Your faith will not work, and will not, it's not that it won't work, but it won't work as well as it should. And this is a very important part of uh, believing God, and, and I believe, um, I would even say it this way, is that this is actually the bedrock of our faith. It's the thing that, you know, in a house you have a foundation, and then you have, uh, you know, uh, seal plates at the bottom, and those are really what get tied in, and well... The concrete is really what we're going to talk about this morning. Everything we've been talking about is kind of the structure above the foundation. How do we build a house? Well, a house is only good as its foundation. It's only as secure. It's only as stable. It's only as, as safe as the foundation is. And so this morning, I want to talk about these things. And so let me read you a verse here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. It says this. And so the preface to this is Jesus is actually talking about circumcision. Aren't you glad I'm not going to read those verses, fellas? <laughs> You know, he's actually talking about there and they're having a religious argument about this. Do you get circumcised? Do you not? And so just giving you some context here. So I'm not just cherry picking a verse out of the scriptures. So you're thinking, well, 
is that Paul is writing to a church that is having this debate. Some people are, some people aren't. And they're kind of bickering back and forth. And so he's answering the question. But he makes a statement here in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. And he says, all that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. So in other words, what Paul said is, hey, quit arguing about that. It doesn't matter. I think we probably need to say that more in the church to ourselves at times. Like, hey, that doesn't matter. All of our arguing and our bickering and our complaining and our debating doesn't change anything. What does change things, though, is that we live in faith that is activated and brought to perfection. See, we can have misguided faith. We can have misguided desires. You ever wondered why sometimes you pray and it doesn't seem like God answers? Let me help you out. It's because he didn't answer. Why is that? Because the Bible says God will give us anything that we ask according to his will. The problem comes when we want to insert our will and say, God, I want you to bless what I want. And God says, well, I I can't sign off on that. Yes, I want to bless you. Yes, it's the promises of scripture. Yes, I want you to be prosperous, but I can't prosper you until your soul begins to prosper first. And I can't bless you beyond your ability to handle it. And there's areas of our life that we're wanting to believe God in. And we wonder why. And it's, it's because we're misguided. Our, our target is off just a little bit. And most of time it's not a lot. But it's just maybe it's a, a slightly wrong motive. Like I'll give you an example of this. You know you could take somebody that you've been believing for. Believing for. Believing for to come to God. Because you really just want to have that I told you so moment. Like I knew, I've been telling you, you need to come to Jesus for years and years and years. Well, your attitude is not right towards them. See, our faith has to be perfected by love. It's not a, see, I I was right all along. It's a, man, I'm so thankful for what God has done in you. Because sometimes we can even fall into the traps of like, well, what this person does reflects on me. And so what are people going to? All of a sudden it becomes self-focused. Not, our prayer is not even really about them. It's actually about us. So that's why we need love to help steer our faith and even what we're believing God in so that God can work. And so you could say it like this is that our faith is actually purified by the love in our heart. And so what is love? Here's a, a basic definition. It's the motives, the intentions... Of why we do what we do, but it's also the the reasons of how and why we treat others. I believe that if we live scripturally, it's the how behind the why. It really is. And how we live these things out. And so, you know, and here's the thing is that love expressed can look very differently from one situation, one person to another. Love doesn't look the same in every situation. Sometimes there's celebration. Sometimes there's correction. Sometimes there's, there's you know, I've, and I've shared this many times, that I have good friends of mine that stab me in the front. The Bible says in Proverbs that faithful are the words of a friend. 
Faithful are the wounds. You're like, well, that doesn't sound great. It is when it's said in love because I know that they want the best for me. And so therefore I can receive it. And, and let me say this. I would much rather somebody stab me in the front than in the back. Hello. And a real friend will stand to your face and tell you, stop that. You need to stop thinking like that. You need to stop talking like that. You need to change this behavior. Why? Because that's a real friend. A real friend loves you enough to tell you the truth. And so we need these people in our life. And so there's times and situations where the same friend has encouraged me. The same friend has corrected me. The same friend has slapped me around at times. And we need people like this in our life. And so love doesn't always look the same. I mean, sometimes it is celebrating. It is encouraging. It is building up. And that is an aspect of love. But there's also other elements. And and so, but what does the Bible really tell us about love? And, And there's a very, 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 very famous passage of Scripture. Some of you already know where I'm headed. We're going to land in 1 Corinthians 13. Everybody's favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. Maybe some of the most convicting ever, at least for me. But we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks about faith. And so uh, here we're going to look because it actually talks about this. It actually addresses it. We're going to start in verse 1. But the way Paul writes this is that he actually says what love isn't before he tells us what it is. And so starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing says, If I were to speak with the eloquence of earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, it says, Yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to a hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm just making some racket. And it's not even good racket. You ever gone to like a football game or something and you get the kid with the cymbals? He's like warming up. And you're just like, stop. There you go. That's the picture of what Paul is talking about here. He says, if I were to have the gift of prophecy... With a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets. And if I possess unending spiritual knowledge. And if I had the greatest gift of faith. That could move mountains. But never learn to love. Then I am nothing. What he's saying here. Is look. If I was the most super Christian of all super Christians. If I had all spiritual giftings. If I had this great faith. That whatever I said God would do. And if I operated in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and God talked to me and all these things, but I didn't know how to love people, it's all for show. There's no real substance behind it. Why? Because motive matters. Always. He goes on and he says, if I were to be so generous as to give away everything that I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, he says, I would gain no value. I could be Mother Teresa, but if I don't have love, it doesn't amount to anything. It picks up here in verse 4. So he shifts from telling us what love isn't. Now he's going to start telling us what love is. He says, love is large and is incredibly patient. I wish that word incredibly was not there. Love is incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. 
Not just the people I like. Not just the people that I agree with. Not just the people that I have the uh, similar or, 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 or the same political persuasions with. This attribute is pretty hard to find in our culture right now. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's own achievements or inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. We don't wear our feelings on our sleeves waiting Just looking for somebody to trigger us. I can tell y'all are enjoying this scripture, by the way. Man, your face is so warm and glowing with the delight right now. I'm just. It says love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter. For it never stops believing the best of others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. Now that's a mouthful. And I would encourage you to go and read over these scriptures. I don't know if we still have any out there or not, but at one time I'd printed out this 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 out of the Amplified Bible. And everywhere it said love, I put the word I. And I use it as a confession, one sitting on my desk right now. Because I have to be reminded that this isn't just words from the scripture. It's actually a commandment for me to live out. So I have to say that I am kind and I am incredibly patient. Which my wife is laughing at right now. Because guess what? By myself, I am not incredibly patient. I'm incredibly impatient. I want everything now. I want everybody on the highway to get out of my way. I got things to do. Just part the Red Seas of 210 for me, Lord, please. But I have to what? Speak the word of God over me in faith. And I hope that my wife would say this, is that I've actually gotten much more patient and much more kind over the years. Why? Because the word of God is working and teaching me how to love people. Even when I want to snap someone's head off. I know you never have those moments. I don't know what this is from, but it comes to mind right now. Some movie, I think, but it's like, you know, where they take and you're like, I crash you, I crash you, I crash you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Oh, there we go. Somebody else is weird like me and knows what that's about. (laughs) And if you're true, and if you're honest with yourself, we all have moments like that. Well, what keeps us from just feeding into that? It's the love of God that the Bible says has already been really put on the inside of us. The Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. What does that mean? God put a deposit of love on the inside of you. Is that these scriptures, you can actually have the ability to walk out and, and live out. And this affects our faith. It affects our ability to believe God. And so you could say it like this. Is that we have been built to love. We really have been. You're not trying to become something that you're not. You're actually trying to become who God has already created you to be. But it's going to take some, some effort on your part. I would take these scriptures... I don't know if we have those cards out there available still or not, but we can make some more with that confession. 
I've been confessing this for 20 something years over my life. Is that I believe the best of every person. My hopes are fadeless in all circumstances. I never give up because the love of God on the inside of me never gives up. And man, I've quoted it and quoted it. I've said it out loud. I don't know how many times. And in those moments when I'm ready to go to somebody, I whip out my little card and I confess it out loud. Why? Because I need to hear what the word of God says about me, even when my feelings and my emotions want to say something completely different. In other words, I need to be reminded of who God's created me to be. And that's where we can really activate the word of God, even when I don't feel like it. Sometimes that's the most powerful moments that I can really take God's word. And so I know that in our society that we're continually becoming more and more divisive and antagonistic. You know, I I mean, I realize this. And so, you know, we no longer live in a space or a place that we can really have differing opinions. I don't know if you're aware, if, if you're living in a hole somewhere, people aren't nice today. And people don't like to change their opinions or even acknowledge that they could possibly remotely, even the slightest bit, maybe be wrong. We all believe we're right 100% of the time. Well, if we're all right 100% of the time, then none of us are right uh, because we have differing opinions, right? And so we hear things like, I'm right, you're wrong, you're an idiot, you're stupid. And this is on TV, by the way. Like we see this all the time. It turns into name-calling. Which we see, by the way. I mean, have you ever felt like when you're watching the TV, like sometimes you feel like you're back in middle school? Anybody? You know, I mean, there's times where, you know, I can remember being in middle school. I'd be like, are y'all going to fight or y'all just going to keep talking? Like somebody swing already, you know? <laughs> Probably not biblical, but, you know, <laughs> shut up and fight, you know. No, but I mean, it really is kind of sad. When you look at our culture and how discourse is handled. I mean, people revert to name calling. I mean, this is really middle school stuff. But what happens is that name calling creates distrust. That distrust turns into fear. That fear becomes anger. That anger turns into hatred. And we see the slide happening. I mean, it's been happening, but it's, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And yet we're called as believers, as followers of Christ to live differently. Well, how do we live differently? You got to learn to love people. You don't have to love everything that they do. You don't have to love everything that they say. But you do have to love them. Why? Because they're still somebody that Jesus laid his life down for. And they are precious. And let me remind you that there was a day that you were no better than them. And I'm not saying that you're necessarily better than them right now. You just accepted forgiveness of your sins, which puts you in a better position than they are in. Yes, but it doesn't make you better than them. You've just received a gift that they've yet to receive. But in a split second, they can make that same decision to receive that gift as well. See, Jesus has called us to act and to live in a way that where we love people regardless of how they treat us. I mean, you know, I've, I've made the joke in the past of, you know, the Bible talks about turning the other cheek. And I'm like, well, what happens when I run out of cheeks? <laughs> you know, I mean, like there just comes a point. Right? I mean, I can only turn so many times, you know. <laughs> you got four options. That's it. You know, 
after that, I'm all out. Like, I don't know what to do, but uh, you didn't expect to hear that today at church, did you? No, I believe that we're actually called to live from a place of love that affects not only, not just our faith's ability to work, but it also affects those around us. It has a dual purpose and a dual uh, application, if you will. And so, but what I'm not saying, and this is very important, because anytime I talk about love, people are like, oh, great, we just have to be those weak Christians that just lay down and take it from everybody, and we're just the doormat. Jesus was not weak. Doesn't mean that we just have no opinion or that we have no backbone. No, you have to have a backbone. That's not what I'm saying. But you can love and still be strong. You don't have to be weak to love. That's not at all what we see in Scripture. We don't see that at all with Jesus. And so, but what I am wanting you to grab hold of is that when we live from this place of love, which affects our faith, it actually makes us stronger and more effective. It it will help us to make a greater impact to those around us. I'll give you an example of this. Somebody may say something to you, and if you're like me, you may have a quick response that may come with a hint of sarcasm. And they're ready to fight. And they're trying to pick a fight. They're trying to prod you and lure you in. But love will actually motivate you to do what Proverbs talks about. And says a soft answer will turn away anger. They're trying to pick a fight. And with the right answer, you can diffuse that whole thing. You get around certain family members or certain people that you know. And and they know how to push your buttons. Are you tired of being... Set off? Here's your answer. If you love them the way that the Bible instructs us to love them, it will help you tremendously. I saw this quote here a while back. A friend of mine had somebody who was preaching at their church, and I saw it, and he was actually a missionary, and they had this, they posted it, and it said that we're to love them until they ask why. I thought, man, what a great statement. Love them until they ask why. Why are you doing this? Well, you know, what's different about you? Why, why aren't you, you know, kind of taking the bait that I keep throwing out there? Just love them until they ask why. And then you can tell them. You can tell them about what the Lord's doing in your life. You can, it actually opens an opportunity for you to, to share the gospel with people. Jesus said it this way in John 13. He said that we would be known for our love, not our political positions. You have every right to have a political position. As an American, you have a right to vote. You ought to vote. And if you don't vote, stop complaining. Like, well, it's rigged. Do I need to go down this rabbit hole? Because the Bible says is that the Lord puts into positions of authority. It says that I'm to pray for those who are in authority over me. Doesn't matter if I like them. I'm called to love them. You can love somebody and not like them. 
They're not the same things. You can love them and not agree with them. Some of you just checked out. (laughs) It's not in the scriptures one time. It's in there multiple times. So you can disagree with me, but you're disagreeing with the word of God. The Bible actually says to pray for those in positions of authority that you may live a quiet and a peaceable life. I'm not saying it's easy to love. I'm just saying it's in us. It really is in us. So one day, the, uh, one of the religious elites of their day came to Jesus. And he asked the question, he says, in Matthew 22... He says, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus answered him and said, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. This is the great and the supreme commandment. He said, the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way that you love yourself. So love God, love others. Not just the ones you like, not just the ones you approve of. Love people. Why do we love people? Because God loves people. It really is that simple. He goes on and he says, contained within these two commandments. To love, you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets. Now that's a reference to Old Testament. There were two ways that God spoke to people. And it was through the law that came through Moses, like the Ten Commandments and all the laws and the things that they had. The written word. And then they also had prophets, which were people who would speak for God. And Jesus is saying, hey, because that was significant to them. We just kind of read over it. But that was the only way that God spoke to people before Jesus. And the prophet didn't get to just speak whenever he wanted to. It was only when the Lord would give him something. So it was rare. And Jesus here says that everything, all the significance of the law and the prophets is summed up in this, really, these two commandments. But it's love God and love others. He said these are the greatest two commandments. And so love is really central. It's a central tenet of our faith and even our hope in Jesus. It really is. Is that you can't take love away from the gospel and still have the gospel. Like, love is very important. And and so, um, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, this is where it starts getting practical. He says, your ancestors have also been taught that you love your neighbors and you hate the one who hates you. He says, however, however, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. Jesus says, however, I say to you, Love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you. And respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. Man, that's a hard scripture. I don't like it. You probably don't like it either. I don't want to be nice to people that aren't nice to me. As a matter of fact, I want to tell them off. And I want to tell them why they're wrong. And I want to defend myself. Don't you? And yet here it says, my only response is to pray. Man. I don't want to pray. I want to tell them off. But I have learned that if I will pray, 
God can change my heart in those moments, which is important. Here's why this matters. This next verse picks up and says, For for that will reveal your identity as children of of the Heavenly Father. He is kind to all by bringing sunrise to warm and rainfall to refresh whether the person is good or evil. What reward do you deserve if you love the lovable? Don't even the tax collectors do that? I mean, tax collectors were very despised throughout Scripture. If you don't know, they were like hated by everybody. Because they were Jewish people who enforced the Roman taxes on the Jewish people. So basically, they were kind of like a loan shark. Sort of, kind of. Because they could just say, hey, your tax bill's $1,000 when it's $100, and they would keep 900 Would you like somebody who did that to you? That's why people didn't like tax collectors, because they were thieves. Basically. And Jesus here says, even tax collectors love those who love them. So he goes on, he says, how are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that? Now, let me just caution you in this. Sometimes we can, and especially in our culture, and I see this, where we are labeling people as enemies that aren't enemies. We're annoyed by them. We're offended by them. And there's things like that. Well, we, if we're not careful, we will label somebody an enemy that's not actually our enemy. Love will keep us from doing that. But we need, to, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the, the Spirit of God to help us. Because the more we stew on something, the more we take that slide down into hate. We're not called to hate. We're called to love. <clears throat> in this same passage here from the message uh, paraphrase of the Bible, in verse 41, it says, if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. As Christians, we're here to serve others first. I mean, that's what Jesus came. I mean, the Bible says that he came to serve others, not to be served. Well, if we're going to follow in his example, then we need to serve, not be served. And I love the way that it says it, is that when somebody takes an unfair advantage of you, practice servant life. We're called to love. You know, there was a, a, a story, and we're not going to read the whole story just for the sake of time, but because there was somebody who approached Jesus. It's called the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's a story of three people. And because somebody comes to Jesus, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You must love your neighbors, yourself. And this guy says, I've done it. Check. And Jesus asked him a question and, you know, there's a discourse that goes on. And ultimately the guy asked Jesus, he says, well, who is my friend? In other words, he's looking for an out. Because he said, hey, Jesus, I've done all that. And Jesus tells him a story about three different men. Says that there was a Samaritan, a despised Samaritan who was in the ditch, who was hurt, got beat up, jumped, robbed, all that stuff, left for dead. Two people come by, one being a priest, one being somebody. So for lack of better terminology, we'll use modern terminology. 
The pastor comes by and goes out of his way to avoid him. The church leader comes by. Somebody that serves is active in the church. They see him and they, I ain't got time for that today. I'll give you the modern day equivalent of this. You know that person you see in Walmart and you just skip that aisle? There you go. That's what they're doing. And yet there's this third man who was a Samaritan who comes and helps the man and pays the bill and takes care of him and all this stuff. So Jesus asked the question at the end of this to this gentleman who's trying to find a, a way out, trying to find wiggle room. So it says, Jesus responds and says, tell me, which one of the three men who saw the wounded man proved to be a good neighbor or a true neighbor? The religious scholar responded and said, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. The one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Who was a real friend? Who was a real neighbor? Who really displayed love? The one who demonstrated, who showed kindness and mercy. And then Jesus makes the statement and says, you must go and do the same as him. This is our commandment as Christians. And we're, we are to be built different. We're not to be like the world around us. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about don't allow the culture around you to drag you down to its level of immaturity. That's the culture that we live in. But we are not to look like the culture. We're to be different than the culture. And we should be different to the point that they begin to ask why. We should love until they begin to ask why. We should care even when it makes no sense. Now, again, I'm not saying that we get taken advantage of. You have to allow the Lord to lead you because there are there is a point where the Bible actually says you have to turn somebody over to their own decisions. And there comes a point and that doesn't mean that you don't love them. It just means that you can no longer put yourself in the train tracks with with the train coming. And, there, and you have to allow the Holy Spirit to help you and to know to do that. So love doesn't mean that I just get run over and over and over and over and over again. But I think we've gone maybe the other way. Where we just, we're so protective that we don't really love people. We don't believe the best of people. We don't pray for people when it's hard for us. We're just like, well, they're going to get what they deserve. And yet Jesus here says, hey, we're to show kindness and mercy. That we're to live this life out. And it affects our faith life. It affects our ability to believe God and to see God work and to see God really move in our hearts and in our lives. I mean, this is who we are. If we don't want to choose love, then we can't follow Christ. See, we don't make a decision to just give our hearts to Jesus. We make a decision to follow him, which is a continual thing. It's not a one-time, oh, I I prayed a prayer, I'm good. It's a life saying, Jesus, I'm willing to follow you. Continually. But why why would we follow Jesus? Because the Bible says he loved us before we ever cared about him. 
mean, we can quote scriptures, you know, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, that anyone who would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And sometimes we can make it just kind of a patent prayer and just like, oh man, pastor that I served in, in Kansas called it. Well, you can just, you know, people want to pay up their fire insurance. I just don't want to go to hell. You know, there's a lot more to salvation than not going to hell having an abundant life a life that's different than the culture and the world around us and the circumstances around us it's having peace and having joy in spite of all that we see it's living in a world that's being shaken but I'm not that's the that's the goal not saying that chaos doesn't happen but again go read Psalms 91 Only with my eyes am I going to see the destruction of the wicked, but it's not coming near me. No plague will come near my dwelling. My family is safe in the presence of the Lord. I mean, you go read verse 1 of Psalms 91. For him who abides in the shadow of the most high God. That means I'm going to stay close to the Lord. I'm not going to get out here in my own opinions in my own way. No, I'm going to stay close to the Lord. Why? Because there's protection when I'm with him. Proverbs says that the the Lord is a strong tower that the righteous can run into. Why do I need a strong tower? Because everything around me is crazy. But I don't have to live my life. You don't have to live your life based on this world system. You can live differently. You can build a completely different life. But it starts, and look, whether you've ever surrendered your heart to Jesus or not, the only way that you can actually reflect the love of God is that you've received it. You can't give what you've not received. Jesus said this, he said, freely you've received, freely give it. But you first have to receive it. Some of you don't know and don't really recognize or see God as being good or being loving or, or that he really affectionately cares for you. Or that you think you're too damaged for him now. Your past is too bad or too jacked up or whatever the the lie of the enemy that you bought into. But the word of God is pretty clear. 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 said that God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. So that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Jesus died for us before we had ever sinned. If you've ever wondered how much does God love me, think about the cross. Romans tells us that God spared not his own son, but gave him up freely willingly without hesitation without reservation he sent jesus to die for us so we receive the love of god it's been, it, salvation is really not just about the forgiveness of our sin salvation is about receiving the love of god it's about receiving the love of a father who wants to help you have a place to belong and to be secure in and some of you have no idea what i'm talking about when i say that and i understand that but I'm telling you, it is available to you. 
You may feel like that you've been orphaned by a mom or a dad. And and so you don't know what it's like to really be accepted and loved and belong to somebody. But the love of God can absolutely bring you into a place where you know that I am loved and I am known by my heavenly father. But you have to be willing to receive the love of God. Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5 says that God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even when we were dead because of our sins that he gave us life when he raised us or raised Christ from the dead it is only by God's grace that you've been saved that's great news you can stop trying to measure up because you can't I can't you can't we'll never be good enough to deserve what God has done for us but God who is so rich in mercy. God who is so rich in kindness. God who is so rich in his grace. What? He wants to help us come to a place of understanding and knowing how much he loves us. I mean, we can quote that scripture, but it's one thing to quote it. It's another thing to know it. It really is. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity.